we fled the war in Lebanon at the time, this on a boat in the middle of the night, and we made our way to Cyprus at the time, and then landed in um, Canada, which was accepting war refugees. The U.S. was not at the time. Uh, my mom heard about the green card lottery, and she won. My mom won the U.S. green card lottery. Welcome to a new episode of Community in Arabic in season two. Uh, my name is Anwar Malik. Uh, today I'm really excited to uh, speaking with Donna Khalife. So Donna Khalife is an Arab-American who immigrated to North America when she was six years old. She's a serial entrepreneur. She's an author. Donna was raised in Canada, then, uh, then moved to the U.S. She went to school in Boston University, then, uh, then graduated from MBA program at Harvard. 2013, she started with her sister Rosie, the Surprise Ride, which a very exciting company. She appeared on Shark Tank. Uh, she had a great success. Uh, she had an investment there, and then uh, Donna, she also uh, an author, uh, the best book for, for investment uh, banking careers. It's actually a very uh, interesting book to, uh, to start your, uh, your investment banking journey. Uh, we're so excited to meet with you, Donna. I'm so excited to be here too. I love, I love what you guys are doing. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. So Donna, while we were doing some research about the episode, we found some staggering statistics that we wanted to share. We found that 60% of the most highly valuable tech companies were founded by first or second generation immigrants. Also, 40% of Fortune 500 companies were launched by either immigrants or first generation, or like children of immigrants. And what was also more interesting is that of immigrants, refugees had the highest percent of entrepreneurship. She had 13% of refugees are um, small business owners compared to like 11, 11 and a half percent of immigrants are small business owners. So like entrepreneurship is like all over the, the immigration journey as like tied very closely to it. So, you know, today we want to hear about, you know, your story and your experience and your journey. And through your journey, we would love to hear about, you know, the challenges and opportunities for, for, an, for an immigrant who started a business and who run a business um, in North America and the U.S. specifically. So we're very excited to chat with you today. Oh, that's interesting, the statistics that you found. Yeah, super excited to, to talk more about that. So Donna, probably the, uh, the most important question we're thinking about, uh, how was your 2020? Oof, what a year. <laughs> what a year it has been for everyone. Um, 2020 has been a roller coaster, I think. You know, we, uh, we started off thinking that it was going to be short, <laughs> this, this <laughs> chapter that we entered. And thankfully, about two or three months in, I had the foresight to kind of look at the long term and say, I think this is going to stay for a year or two. We have to play, play the long game, as I like to say. And so we actually um, relocated from the East Coast in Washington, D.C. to the West Coast in L.A. And it was a really good decision for us because we were about to enter winter on the East Coast. <laughs> I have a, an almost five-year-old. I have a four-year-old and it's really hard to keep the little ones cooped up in the house. It's hard for us too. So I'm in LA now, really happy to be here, you know, counting our blessings that we were able to make that move. And um, just, I, you know, I, I hope that coming out of all of this, that we take the good stuff and that we just can get rid of all the things that have been really hard for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Surviving 2020, just being healthy, that's achievement. I, I think yeah. that's the achievement, <laughs> yeah. the, the biggest one. Totally. And um, it's been interesting to try to show up for people who are grieving, who've had losses, but from a distance, you know, that's been really hard, um, but still finding ways to show up for them. And then also 
you know, try to try to, so I started a company for kids, which we'll talk more about, but it's been really hard to see how many kids have had to just spend their days glued to the screens. So, you know, how do you create the moments of joy also in the midst of the chaos? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because at the same time, we're getting to see our kids more, you know, normally I'm in the office, I'm going into work and uh, I've had the benefit of spending my days you know, seeing, seeing my daughter, which, which is really nice. So it's sort of these, like, you know, it's been a roller coaster, good yeah. and bad and all the in between. So then if we go back to your journey as an immigrant, can you tell us a little bit about your background? I know your parents come from Lebanese, Egyptian background. So if you tell us a little bit more about that. Originally from Lebanon, I was actually born in uh, Beshera in UAE. My mm-hmm. brother was born in Dubai. We're the only ones that were born there. Uh, dad was born in Lebanon. My mom was born and raised in Egypt. Uh, Port Said, and uh, I have a sister born in Kuwait and another one born in Canada. So oh, wow. we like to joke that we're from all over when you know we're uh, international. And then when I was six years old, maybe seven, we're not sure. Uh, we fled the war in Lebanon at the time. This was in the eighties, uh, late eighties, on a boat in the middle of the night. You know your classic kind of escaping war uh, oh. story. And we made our way to Cyprus at the time, and then landed in um, Canada, which was accepting war refugees. The U.S. was not at the time uh, from the Lebanese Civil War, and so I, I sort of grew up in Canada, and then craziest thing happened. Uh, my mom heard about the green card lottery and we thought it was a scam. We, we didn't think it was a real thing, but she made me apply and I filled them out. It was uh, 13 years old at the time and she won. My mom <laughs> won the U.S. green card lottery. And because it was, we were all still underage, she was able to give all of us the green card. So I am now a U.S. citizen. I'm also a Canadian citizen. So I'm a dual citizen. Um, and it's this crazy story, and that's how we ended up in the U.S. So I've been here ever since I was 13. That's really interesting. I've heard about it, but uh, that's the first uh, time I meet a person who actually yeah. immigrated to the U.S. via a lottery. That's really cool. It's crazy. <laughs> people, we had people in the family who had been applying for years. And of course, my mom won the first, you know, the, her first try. But we got a, a big yellow manila envelope in the mail, and it said, congratulations, you won the green card oh lottery. And we, wow. we thought this was definitely a scam. And then, you know, you took the next step and so forth. And there was like real lawyers and a real judge. And, you know, six months later, we had the green card. So it's, uh, it's crazy. But I think, it, I think what I love about that story is my mom is, um, she's sort of the eternal optimist, you know, she, she's a go-getter. So she heard about it, she applied and we won. And, and I think the lesson is like, you have to try, you have to exactly. try, you never know. Um, exactly. And that's my yeah. mom. We will touch base about these really important traits, uh, you know, to be an entrepreneur or to start your own company. Uh, chatting with you before the interview, you, you mentioned going to, to Boston uh, to pursue your education. Um, you had an MBA from Harvard. What inspired you to pursue the entrepreneurship journey? Oof, good question. So I went to undergrad in Boston. I went in as an engineer, actually, because, you know, typical immigrant fashion, doctor, lawyer, engineer, these are the things that we support. Um, And so I went in as a biomedical engineering major. I was falling asleep in those classes. I would sit in the back and I was, I mean, you could just tell that my heart wasn't into it. And I was a very good student leading up to that point. So um, that was a red flag for me. 
And I uh, decided to switch majors. I switched to finance and international relations. Mm -hmm. My parents were not happy about it at all. Of course. I remember <laughs> senior year of college, uh, first semester, you know, I'm, I'm a few months away from graduation and my dad took me aside and he said, are you sure you don't want to switch back to engineering? And I thought, dad, we're about to graduate. This is done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing. And I was very lucky because ironically, I had gotten a lot of scholarships. You know, I applied to a lot, a lot of scholarships to make college happen. And I saw some of my peers whose parents were funding their educations and they felt like they couldn't switch majors. And so it was this ironic um, situation where the, the more sort of privileged kids were actually felt more uh, boxed in. Right. And I had the freedom to, you know, I was paying my way through school and I had the freedom to follow my heart, uh, which was difficult at a young age. But I switched to, to business, fell in love with business, um, ended up going to work on Wall Street, and uh, which was, you know, an amazing experience um, to, to work in business at that level. And then I went back to school, got my MBA at Harvard, and I caught what they say, you know, what they call the entrepreneurial bug. Mm -hmm. So that's really what made me go into startups again, unfortunately, against the support of my parents at the time, who thought, you know, the, the daughter that ends up at Harvard ends up rejecting job offers to go start something. And then I dragged my sister in with me. Um, into the project we, we both you know it was our idea and we both fell in love with it and launched it so how did i end up into you know and as an entrepreneur uh is really a series of events where i, I try to listen to what my heart is telling me to do and even though sometimes it's not the easy path right. and uh, it ended up being a very re rewarding one for us so maybe the, the optimist uh, trait you want to achieve something you want uh, you you know, you go for it and you're really optimistic that, that it's going to be great. It's really interesting how uh, when, you, when you get this entrepreneurship bug, that's it. You're, uh, you can't really work in a corporate America. You, uh, you need to go for it. You mentioned that you dragged your sister into this. I mean, it's one thing to go into the startup or it's another thing to do it with a sibling. So how was that experience for you? Um, doing this. Oh gosh, we we had a blast. So we, I mean, we still work together now. What happened was we started a Google Doc. She was actually in London at the time studying abroad, still a college student in her uh, junior year. And uh, I had finished my time at Harvard and uh, wanted to start something. So we created this Google Doc that we would check back and forth. So she would wake up, put notes, you know, I can't, I, I would wake up, couldn't wait to see what she wrote. And um, we were just throwing around ideas. And we got this idea to um, give kids activities that we had grown up with. So our dad was an artist. And we did a lot of fun projects at home. It's so much fun to grow up with an artist because you have, you know, like a craft store in your home. Um, so we were constantly tinkering and experimenting and trying new things. And we looked at our nephews and we thought, you know, both parents are working full time. It's so hard for parents to give their kids these fun activities. So what if we did them and started shipping them around the world? And that Google Doc grew to 30 pages on that one idea. Um, so we thought, well, why don't we do it? So we learned to code a little bit and we threw up a website and, you know, we did not set out to work together as siblings. I have two other siblings. I don't know if we could get as much done. <laughs> working with them. Uh, I always say, you know, I love them, but I don't know that we would work well together. And how many siblings you have, Donna? I'm one of four. All four, so okay. Three others, yeah. And we're all very close. Um, but me and Rosie just worked so well together. And I think 
the benefit of working with a sibling is you can be very honest with each other. Um, mm -hmm. of course. Whether it's a sibling or a best friend, we, we joke that we get twice as much done. So if we come up with an idea that we love, we pour our hearts into it. I mean, the thing just takes off, you know, 10, 10x done. Uh, if we don't like an idea, we have no problem saying, look, what, what did you drink this morning? We, do you need some coffee? <laughs> it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. We got to stay focused. We got to do this or that. So um, we can do that from a place of love that doesn't, you know, hurt the other person. We don't have to right. tip, tiptoe around each other. And so we, it's been very, it's been a lot of fun for us to, to work together. And of course, we all know Surprise Ride, right? That uh, Google Doc evolved into a really successful startup. Tell us about Surprise Ride. Tell us about uh, how your journey led you to Shark Tank and beyond. Surprise Ride, like I said, was just, you know, came up as, uh, as something we wanted to try. And we, we put up what I, what I jokingly call an ugly website. And I think if you have an idea, it's good to launch it when you're a little embarrassed about it. You're not, you're not too proud of it yet because that means you didn't wait too long. That's the right time. Um, so we did that. Our website was really not, not cute, but it got the message across. You knew what the yes. product was. You knew how much it cost. You could sign up. You could put your credit card in. We sent it to friends and family. We got a few customers. And then we joined an accelerator program up in Boston, actually. And she was still in college. And I moved there for a few months and, um, and spent a few months there. And the idea just started to take a life of its own. And then we heard about Shark Tank and Shark Tank was just another thing we did that day. So yes. one thing they taught us at the accelerator is find 15 new ways every day to get your idea out there. Oh, wow. a lot. 15, 15 is a lot, but you know, when you start doing this exercise, that's a great exercise, actually. It's a, it's a fabulous exercise and you start getting a little bit desperate. And so you say, you know, today I'm going to try to reach out to Oprah and <laughs> tomorrow I'm going <laughs> to yeah. try to, you know, um, call, walk into that store and see if they'll, they'll carry our product. Mm -hmm. And you start getting a little bit desperate to, to get to 15 every day. And so one day it was like, everyone says Shark Tank. Let's put that on there. You know, what are the odds? Um, the odds are low, but uh, we found uh, the executive producer's email and we just pinged them and, and, check the box on that dart. And he said, Oh, this is interesting. Can you get on the phone in five minutes? And we did. And then we had to send the video. And then a few months later, we were out in Hollywood filming. Amazing. So, I mean, it's, it's another dart. We threw that, you know, we threw that day that that stuck. Uh, we were a four month old company. So we were still what I like to say an infant. We were not quite ready for prime time, but we sort of rose to the occasion, got ready. And we went from having, you know, a couple hundred subscribers. Uh, and then the, by the end of that weekend, we had thousands. We had you know, over 3,000. We were doing over a million in sales in that weekend. And then it just kind of took off. The from Shark there. Tank effect as... Uh, the Shark Tank effect, you yeah. Know, Kevin O'Leary says, talking about that, but I just want to, uh, you know, touch on a really important point. You kind of hinted to it uh, while you're sharing your journey. The contrast between uh, perfectionist and done right? Yeah. Uh, like if you were a perfectionist and wanted to uh, perfect your site before you launch versus, you know, it's, it's okay. It's not uh, perfect yet, but let's run with it and get the feedback and reiterate. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah. uh, if you can tell us uh, your thoughts about this point. Oh, it's a, it's an excellent point. Uh, and I'm a perfectionist at heart. So 
you know, these things that I'm sharing were not easy for me along the journey uh, because I am a perfectionist. And so it's this really fine dance between trying to put your stuff out there so you get feedback that you then feed into your quote unquote perfect product or perfect business um, and not waiting too long because the, 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 the biggest problem is people wait and they let ideas marinate in their brains and sometimes on their laptops and with their friends and then you launch it and it flops. Nobody really wanted that. They wanted it slightly different. So I like to think of entrepreneurship as, you know, Dr. Anwar, you're a doctor, so you'll appreciate this. And also in architecture for you, Malik, it's a series of scientific experiments. So mm -hmm. we, have a, we have a hypothesis. We think, we think kids uh, could enjoy these activities. We think there is a pain that parents have that we can solve. Let's, what's a small experiment we can do and put out there to validate our hypothesis or get new information? If it fails, great, that's still learning. We come up with the next hypothesis and we, we iterate from there. Um, and, and that mindset really helps you embrace the failures. So when they happen, you go, oh, that's just a failed experiment. Let's come up with our next one. And when they work, great. Now you can also move on to the kind of next phase. So it's been a really uh, valuable way of looking at our business. And it's a you know, it's a simple lesson that you learn when you're a kid, the scientific method, hypothesis, test, learning. Right. Um, and so that's how we've tried to run our business. I actually want to like throw back to the Shark Tank episode because I remember vividly, I was sitting there with my family and like watching, we're all obsessed about Shark Tank, we're always following and then following the companies <laughs> afterwards just to see like what happens after, is this negotiation real, like how it goes. And I remember like, we had like a unanimous consent that this was vicious. You know, like any word you say, anything you do, they can like flip on you no matter how great the idea, like if you're so careful. So how was that experience for you then, you know, going through it, not getting the investment and then getting the investment, like, like something must have stuck during the episode despite how vicious they were with you guys. You're bringing your baby, your infant on national television and also international television because right. people watch, we, we hear from people all over the world and uh, you know, 10 million viewers in the US alone. Um, it, it's a very personal experience when you go on there. Yeah. You know, in, our, in our segment, everyone, all the sharks fell in love with the product, which was mm -hmm. kind of our primary goal. So we, we felt really excited about that. Um, and then we got an offer from Robert. We didn't accept it fast enough. It was very dramatic. The good news is that prompted them to air the episode sooner and the episode actually garnered a lot of attention. So. You know, in, in hindsight, there's no bad outcome. You know, I think we, we uh, it was so dramatic and kind of fun to watch. Um, and they did they do an amazing job. Shark Tank, you know, we're, we're big fans of the show, obviously, uh, before and now after. Everyone affiliated with the show has is, is been very kind. So we filmed for about an hour and a half, and then you should, they show about 10 to 15 minutes of that. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so they, do, they really do their best to kind of convey what happened. Right. In, in the whole um, Q&A, but it's, it's obviously hard. Mm -hmm. Then we got a call from producers a few months later saying, hey, people are asking what happened to the sisters who started Surprise Ride, are you still around? We said, oh gosh, yeah, we're still around. We've, we've grown our team, the company's grown drastically, we've raised some money. Um, and they said, can we come film? And then as they came to film, I was literally sitting there working. And if you watch the Beyond the Tank episode, that's exactly what happened. I was working and I got a phone call and I looked at the camera crew and I said, 
you know, what do I do? And they said, well, you're working. So answer the phone if that's what you would normally do. And I said, I would. So I answered the phone. Hi, this is Donna. And then um, it was Kevin O'Leary. And he said, hey, Donna, this is Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. Well, I, I actually like, wondered if this was a setup or like, were you prepared for it or not? What not at all. Is exactly <laughs> what happened. Oh, wow. I, I put him on speaker and I, Rosie sits next to me. We, we take a lot of calls together. So we share an office. And uh, he said, I'm in the area. Can I stop by? He came in, uh, asked us a little bit about the business and where we were. And we had known, so he was previously on Good Morning America mm -hmm. uh, and they had asked him, what's one regret with the show? And he said, there was a company called Surprise Ride that I wish I had invested in. We had heard about that a few months earlier. So wow. we knew we were on his radar. We didn't, you know, we didn't think anything would come out of it. And so when he made us an offer, we accepted it. Um, and we, you know, we've been working with him for years now and he's amazing. an amazing human being. Also half Lebanese, by the way. Yeah, he is. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So beyond the tank, and of course, until you exited, your thoughts about the next level startup kind of organization, uh, uh, growing your startup, being a mature company now, um, if you can tell us more about that. That's interesting that you've noticed that distinction, because I think what happens to a lot of founders is you know, the things that work in the beginning don't work later. And we tend to get caught up trying to kind of almost bang your head against the wall doing the same things. And so it's, it's, it's really important to, to realize that what gets you there the first time for that first level doesn't necessarily work. We grew the team, we raised some funding, and then um, we really had to level up internally as, as people. Uh, because we were sort of micromanaging a lot in the beginning. I mean, we were doing everything, right? We were uh, everything from developing and designing the product to making the hires, buying a laptop for the new hire. I mean, you could just, mm -hmm. just imagine also fundraising. Wearing multiple hats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wearing multiple hats. We, we joke, you know, we had a dishwasher in our office and we joke like, empty the dishwasher. Um, you know, <laughs> put the dishes in the dishwasher. Oh, also I'm CEO. So, you know, I go on public <laughs> I'm on television, I'm doing an interview, I'm running in and out. And so uh, very interesting, you wear a lot of multiple hats. Uh, one of the things that helped us sort of up level was we got a CEO coach, um, oh. an executive coach and that really helped us check in with ourselves every week you know, make sure we're setting the right goals, learning to delegate uh, to our team. So eventually I didn't get to be involved in the product as much as I would have wanted to because I just couldn't, couldn't do it all. Um, we raised uh, four and a half million dollars in, in, uh, from venture. Uh, and then Shark Tank itself gave us, you know, 10 million plus in marketing dollars. So we were really very lucky that we didn't have to give away too much of our company in that way. Uh, but Things like our executive coach, meditation, you know, learning to sort of pause and uh, show up in your best self were the things that allowed us, I think, to go to that next level of leadership that don't always work. You know, that would it wouldn't have worked if we just kept our early day uh, founder hat on. So um, I, I think those were some of the tools. Uh, when do you think... Uh, a founder, if he's having a side hustle, can can go full time on his startup versus uh, keeping it a side hustle while paying the bills on the side. That's really interesting. We get that question a lot. When is it time to to quit the job? So, I think on one level, it's very healthy that you still have income and a paycheck. I think on one level, emotionally and psychologically, that's really healthy because the minute you cut that off, it 
you, you can start to get into what they call a scarcity mindset where you're just feeling depleted. When is it things going to hit? There's sense of urgency that can um, cloud your judgment. Honestly, it can cloud your judgment. You can't move uh, and make the best decisions from that place. At the same time, you know, there's some quote that says something like, if you have a plan B, you always fall back on it. So there's, there's this dance between, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So when you don't have a job, you have to figure out how to make money. Um, so my philosophy on this is it depends on your specific case. You know, do you have savings, uh, or what's your risk tolerance? So interestingly enough, we, we grew up, you know, with very limited means. I mean, we grew up on welfare in Canada for some period of time and the classic story of immigrant leaves country with nothing. Right. So we didn't grow up, we didn't come from money in that way. And, um, my risk tolerance as a result of that was very high because I, I knew that I could, uh, you know, I joke that I spent a year after Harvard living on mac and cheese and ramen. I, I could, you know, I've, I've been there. I've been there where uh, at the same time I, I made good income in banking. But it, 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 for me, I know what hitting rock bottom looks like to some extent. And I knew that I had the capacity to take that risk for some period of time. So it ironically, I think, made it OK for me uh, to, to do that. But that's not the case for everyone. Right. So you have to right. assess your own personal risk tolerance. And then I think it's good to start something <clears throat> side hustle for a few months, test it. And once mm-hmm. you feel like you've really got the learnings and you're ready to go maybe from idea to MVP, you know, most viable uh, product or from MVP to raise money, these are the good inflection points where it's time to jump ship. So I'm just coaching someone now who was working at Apple, had an idea. We worked on it together for a few months. You know, he spent about three or four months. He gave his notice. So now he, ha- he knows this is happening. He wow. gave his notice three months in advance. And we're at the point now where he's starting to work on his MVP. And it's like, you can't do that and work at Apple. It's time to go, right? Yeah. And so um, he, made that, he made that leap and no, no safety net right now. So those are the good inflection points, I think. You know, I also feel like we're lucky to live in a country that forgives failure to a certain extent, you know, like it's not going to be the end of your life. You know, even if you lose, if you lose your investment, a lot of people fail and continue. Like entrepreneurship is so valued and failure is not the end of the world for us. It's very true. The other thing I'll add to that. So we're, we're very blessed that we live in, in the U.S. and uh, where there are safety nets to some extent. Um, the other thing is I created my own safety net. I did not start a company until I was I had an MBA from Harvard and I felt like regardless of what happened here, I could go find some work and that really gave me, I, I, I called it the cushion, uh, that no matter where I fell, I was going to land on a, some sort of a version of a soft pillow. So whenever I'm speaking to college students, I always recommend that, you know, the first job out of college be a good one, you know, be one that has a good brand. I worked at JP Morgan and, uh, it was important for me to have that strong experience coming out of undergrad. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I have a high risk tolerance, but I created a cushion. I don't know how I would have felt if I didn't have that cushion. So for me, psychologically, that was really valuable. Uh, so I do encourage people to, to figure out what their version of a cushion is. I think leaping without a cushion, you know, at some point can be a bit dangerous. Right. And yeah. so, 
It's a, it's a fine it's a fine balance. So um, the, the question I wanted to ask you is: you touched on a lot of advice. Basically, what what would you do um, for for a founder? What would be kind of like the next level of it if you're going to to raise money and you're kind of like midway? You know, as not only as an immigrant but also as a woman, what kind of challenges are ahead of you? I mean, you're disadvantaged in every way possible, and then you need to like conquer these things. So, what would be your advice to somebody who's in your position? to tackle these issues. That's interesting because, I, yeah, I mean, women do face that to another extent, right? So uh, women, people of color, you know, LGBT community, I mean, the list goes on, different age groups um, are more, uh, you know, run into more challenges. Mm -hmm. I, I think my advice is a few things. Get a coach, you know, normalize the experience, surround yourself with other founders um, from all walks of life. And so I have, I had, you know, male founders that I would call all the time and run my strategy by them, run my deck, my, my pitch deck. And actually Rosie and I advise now for people who, you know, we do specifically coaching and advisory on fundraising and, and look at pitch decks all the time. And we can just to catch things that, you know, yeah. you wouldn't know if you're not in, the, in that world. Um, that's, that's just like technical stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You know, get the business skills, try to, try to surround yourself and, and get armed with the knowledge. And then psychologically, I think one thing I learned is you really have to show up with confidence. If you don't believe in what you're doing, whatever it is you're selling, whether it's a business idea or your experience, no one is going to believe it. And so we go to these meetings and I would thank the VCs for their time. And often I was in a room full of men and thank you so much for this meeting. Thank you for your time. Uh, and I learned from a woman VC actually that the men never thank her for her time. No one thanks them for her time. They, they show up and they're sort of like, you're lucky to be meeting with me. You're lucky that I'm giving you an opportunity to give me money for my amazing idea. That's oh my God. <laughs> right. And so that was really eye opening to me. So I always tell, you know, whether it's women from the Middle East or um, anyone who doesn't have that mindset that investors are, are lucky that you're considering them for this idea that you have. Now, if you don't believe it's going to be huge and going to make them rich, they will smell that by you saying things like, thank you for this meeting. So, right. So I think it's, so that's the mindset. So arm yourself with the technical skills, get the business knowledge, get the coaching, whatever you need there, and then make sure you're showing up from a place of confidence and you giving them that opportunity to be a part of your company and make sure you're asking them questions to make sure they're the right partners because you never want to find yourself five or 10 years later building a company with an investor that you don't get along with. It's just toxic. So, um, you know, I think that, and, and, you know, by the way, when we sold our company, I had been buying and selling companies on wall street. So I had that experience. So go get the experience, get the knowledge, whether it's a consulting, you know, a job or banking or whatever it may be in the business world, and then learn the soft skills, learn to show up, with confidence yeah i mean uh, these are amazing uh, tips and uh, experience that you accumulated throughout your journey and that lead me to my next question i mean to to your book you're you're writing right now would you tell us more about that book yeah it's it's been uh, fun and challenging to write this book because it's the culmination of a decade in entrepreneurship you know rosie and i spent um about seven years building our company before we sold it. And then we started another company together as well. And uh, it was really when we were working on that second company that I had the light bulb moment that, wow, we are able to do so much more now, so much faster 
than when we were first time founders. So mm -hmm. the book is really meant to, um, it's some of these tips that we've been talking about. It's really about learning to manage yourself as a leader, as an entrepreneur, whether you have a side hustle, whether you have a company, uh, whether you're uh, managing your time as a, you know, in any profession, a professor has to manage their time in doing research, a doctor, uh, an architect, so forth. And so um, it's the mindfulness that you have to bring that allows you to run a lot faster. And then it's also learning to show up with love and not fear because you know we discovered uh, years into the company that we had been almost suffocating our child, if you think of the company as a child. And uh, that wasn't serving anyone. And so learning to let go and let it breathe and celebrate the victories when you have them versus like we would get a win and then we would get right back to work. Um, learning to take breaks. What do you do on those mornings where you wake up and you're just not motivated to work? Do you just go to work anyway? No, yeah. you have to take a moment. You have to, you know, learning to sort of take a step back and how that allows you to run faster. So it's all the tips and advice that I wish I had um, when I was starting out and people, people say, people celebrate the Steve Jobs of the world and, and mm -hmm. Steve Jobs is known as someone, you know, Syrian background, um, <laughs> who, um, who was difficult to work with. Yeah. Uh, but the, but the Steve Jobs that really changed the world is the one who took, who got fired from Apple, went away for 10 years and did all of this work, did this really hard work. You know, they joke, they call it, went into the desert for a decade and came back and showed up with love and empathy and from a place of listening. So I'd like to spare people that decade of, of being in the desert um, and try to try to you know, put all that in the book so that they can get there a lot faster. Yeah, I love that advice. I mean, I can relate to a lot of what you said, especially about waking up not motivated to work. And, and I own my own time. I mean, I can simply just like not show up at the office. Nobody's going to ask. And I find it hard. You know, I have the guilt inside me. I should be working. It's, it's middle of the day. And then sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm not productive anyway. I'm just like wasting my time. But getting into that, that place where you feel comfortable doing that is, is very difficult. So I, I sure appreciate the advice. Yeah. So, let me share one quick story, by yeah, the way. When yeah. we sold our company... We were in the middle of uh, negotiations and offers and we weren't having a good feeling. There was a day I remember where I wasn't having a good feeling. I wasn't happy with where things were going in terms of offers and, and whatnot. And I looked at uh, the clock, it was 3.30 p.m. late August and we hadn't gone swimming once that year. And you know, we're Lebanese, we like, we like the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember turning to Rosie and saying, we're going to stop working right now. We're going to go to the public pool. We're going to go for a swim. And she thought, well, this is crazy. And, but you know, we, we're sisters. So we can, we can sense when, when things need to go a certain way. So she said, okay, let's do it. We left the team. We literally left in the middle of the day at three 30 on a weekday, jumped into a public pool. DC. <laughs> oh my God. Jumped in, got our bathing suits, got the towels and all that. And I was supposed to send an investor update that day and I wasn't feeling good about it. And I uh, spent hours just sitting and staring at the email, like you said, trying to, to work through it. And we got an offer while we were in the pool. I remember swimming and looking at Rosie running around near the pool chairs. And I thought, what's she going, what's going on? I went and checked on her and she said, we got an offer. And it was, <laughs> it was we'd gotten offers, but this was one from a company that we loved. Um, right the one we actually ended up selling to. And it was so funny to me. It was so ironic that that moment happened while we were, we had finally let go. 
and jumped in the pool. And, yes. and I joke, I, I, I share that story because, you know, we think of deals always happening in the boardroom and you're, you know, in your suit and da, da, da. here we were, here we were taking a break. And so it's really important to sometimes step away and let the universe do its magic. You know, you can't just be controlling it the whole time. So yeah. amazing journey so far. Uh, what's next for Donna? Well, I'm working on a book, which is fun. Um, what's next for me is really, so Rosie and I are very passionate about helping other entrepreneurs, uh, particularly women, uh, particularly people from underrepresented communities, immigrants. We really connect uh, with those folks. And so we have been, uh, we're doing a lot of advising. So specifically on fundraising strategy, that's a big one. Mm. We do one hour calls or, or two hour reviews. Um, on people's pitch decks and crafting the right story and the right strategy as they go out and fundraise. So that's a big one. Mm -hmm. um, that's really taking up most of my time advising right now and then working on the book on the side and then speaking and trying to sort of represent and be out there and, uh, and share our stories. Amazing. Great. Well, Donna, we really enjoyed talking to you. I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about, so we hope to continue the conversation. Hopefully next time it'll be in person, not through a camera. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. Talk to you soon.